0: Hi, I'm Jeremy Kirk, Executive Editor with Information Security Media Group. Contact tracing apps are continuing to take shape around the world as we enter the sixth month of the pandemic. The approaches and privacy impacts vary. And here to discuss how this is shaping up is Anne Kavukian. Anne is the former Information and Privacy Commissioner for Ontario and the Distinguished Expert in Residence who leads the Privacy by Design Center of Excellence at Ryerson University. Thank you very much for joining me, Anne.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Jeremy.
0: There are now many contact tracing apps around the world. What regions are doing well from a privacy perspective and where are their concerns?
1: Well, this is going to sound self-serving because I'm in Canada, but I think Canada is doing very well. And one of the reasons is the um, app that was released by Canada was developed in Ontario in my jurisdiction, and I worked with the government, and it was based on the Apple Google framework, the Apple Google API, which is an exposure notification app that went to great lengths to say it's not contact tracing, we're not tracing anyone, we're not tracking, no surveillance, nothing. And you see, that's what's critical. You have to have trust in order for people to use these apps. And there's such a trust deficit right now, Jeremy. It's just unbelievable. So having that basis in trust is critical. Now, when I started working on this, uh, you know, I always say trust but verify. I never take anything on face value. I always look under the hood. So Apple, they briefed me on two separate occasions, walked me through every single aspect of their exposure notification API, and I can guarantee you there's no personal information that is collected whatsoever. No geolocation data, no PII, nothing. And that's the beauty of it. It relies on the Bluetooth beacons, which change every 15 minutes. It will alert you, notify you if you've been exposed to someone who's, you know, within six feet of you who is COVID-19 positive. That's it. Then the decision as to what to do about it is entirely up to you. You decide... If you want to contact your family doctor, you want to go to a public health authority, get tested or whatever, everything is in your hands. You have total control. And that's what privacy is all about, total control.
0: And that's really interesting that Canada adopted that. I know that some countries started working on their own apps and then... Uh, switched to using the Google and Apple yeah. framework. Do you think that um, uh, some, like Australia, for instance, here, uh, they developed Safe, which is uh, their own app. And they've said that they're not going to adopt the Apple Google framework. And I think there might be a little bit of political face sort of saving there. Um, but do you think like increasingly countries will go, look, this is the best option. It's the most reliable and protects, protects people from, uh, yeah. provides the most privacy protections.
1: Absolutely. In fact, um, the UK—they've already switched because the contract tracing app they had developed was privacy invasive. It did collect some personal information. People didn't want it, so they walked away from it. They're using the Apple Google framework. And I should tell you, about a month ago, Germany—one I think of them as the world's leading country for protecting privacy and data protection—Germany. Uh, created an app based on the Apple-Google framework about a month ago. And within 24 hours, they had 6.5 million people downloaded it because the people in Germany really trust their privacy and data protection commissioner in his office because they protect privacy so strongly. So that's the beauty of this. 6.5 million people downloaded it within 24 hours. You need that level of trust, and you can only do it by assuring people that their personal information is not being captured whatsoever.
0: And so do you know the motivation of why some countries uh, have opted to do things like precise location and sometimes the consent is a little bit funny and some of them are using centralized storage of data. Do you know why some countries have gone down that route versus embracing? Tell
1: me, they, they haven't thought it through. They haven't thought it through. They they think they can get away with this and collect lots of information. Now, let me make it clear. Apple, um, the Apple Google Framework, they intended their API to complement existing manual contact tracing that public health authorities have do and have done for many years. So this is intended to complement that. But beyond that, it's crazy to think anyone's going to download this if they think their information is being tracked. So I think those countries are going to be reversing things because they're not going to have any uptake.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I wanted to ask you about sort of private contact tracing apps. And so these are things that uh, software developers and even consultancies are developing for companies to use on their own workforces. Now, in Australia here, when they passed the legislation around COVID safe, they said this is going to be the only uh, contact tracing app. And also employers can't force people to use that. But other places may not have uh, uh, legislation in place to do that. What's your take on on how that, that other market for these apps is shaping up?
1: I think it's going to be a very weak market because I don't think there's going to be uptake. Employees don't want to have um, all of this information tracked about them. It's understandable. So I think companies offering this are not going to be very successful, nor are the um, uh, technologies that they're developing if they're privacy invasive. This cannot be a tool for engaging in tracking and surveillance. It'll come back to bite you.
0: Absolutely, and this is a that's been an issue here in Australia too. It's like, well, do you trust the government to handle this information? Do you trust the government not to lose this information, or even uh, you know make a mistake with it? Um, so you think this is also okay. kind of a, a big test for governments too? Of like, okay, this is the first really large tech project that's involved every individual downloading a specific app to their phone and, and then and then running it, uh, you know, all the time.
1: For sure. Governments are, you know, people think somehow it's only the private sector that invades privacy. It's nonsense. You know, when I was Privacy Commissioner of Ontario, I was Commissioner for three terms, and in each term there was a different political party in place. And before they became the government, they were all for privacy and protecting everything. And then they became a the government, and they wanted control over the data. They wanted to know everything. So governments do not have a good reputation here. And I would never say, you know, trust me, I'm the government. I would say the exact opposite to people.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I want to ask you just more broadly about uh, privacy by design principles. And my first question on this is, do you think that uh, the debate and discussion over contact tracing has helped raise awareness about privacy by design principles when designing applications?
1: Well, you know, we've had great luck with privacy by design. It was unanimously passed as an international standard in 2010, and then 2015, and it came into effect in 2018, the GDPR in the European Union, the General Data Protection Regulation, for the first time ever included privacy by design and privacy as a default in the GDPR, which is huge. And let me be clear, privacy as a default, which is the second of seven foundational principles of privacy by design. What it means is that you don't expect users, citizens to ask for privacy, you have to wade through all the legalese and all the terms of service and privacy policy searching for the opt-out box. No. You say to people, privacy is the default setting. We automatically protect your privacy. We are only permitted to use your data for the intended primary purpose of the data collection. Beyond that, we have to come back to you and seek your positive consent for any, any secondary uses. This builds trust like no other, Jeremy. You have no idea. Uh, privacy by design has been adopted in 40 languages now all around the world. And when I was commissioner, not a week would go by when I wouldn't hear from some jurisdiction what they were doing. So people love it because it gives them privacy automatically. It gives them personal control, which is what privacy is all about. And they love it. And it builds such trusted business relationships because people know that the companies who are certified for privacy by design Going great lengths to protect the customer's privacy, and they applaud them for it. It builds loyalty like no other.
0: And you think GDPR <laughs> was the big driver for that then, too? That was the big uh, a, a moment, kind of sea change then for yeah. privacy. But interesting. <laughs>
1: GDPR really made a big difference in terms of getting the word out.
0: And so do you think that, because uh, a lot of people have spoken about how GDPR principles, um, even though they technically only apply to Europeans, uh, many large companies said, look, we're just going to do this worldwide because we expect the tide of, of legislation and public opinion to go this way.
1: Exactly. That's exactly what happened. And they don't do it because you know they fall under the GDPR. They're doing it because it makes a lot of sense. People are very attracted to it. It builds trust like no other, and that's what is missing sorely in our lives today. So people are embracing uh, privacy by design, whether they're part of the GDPR or not. It's just something that proactively allows them to prevent the privacy harms from rising. It's ideal. It's a model of prevention. You can avoid privacy harms. Who wants want that?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you very much for your insights, Anne. I appreciate it. It's
1: my pleasure, as always, Jeremy.
0: I've been speaking with privacy expert Anne Kavukian For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk.